And this week, we're going to start looking at what some of these distinctive Adventist uh, doctrines or teachings are and where we can find them in the Bible. And so this week, we're going to be looking at the spirit of prophecy. And I think it's important that we look at this very early on because it has to do uh, with, again, the events of 1844 and how we really began as a movement and as a church. I think uh, one of the things that we should begin by saying is trying to figure out what is the role of a prophet. If uh, a prophet is someone who possesses the spirit of prophecy, that is the Holy Spirit gives a prophet the gift of prophecy, well, what really is the role of a prophet? And we actually have quite a number of misconceptions about what a prophet was, who they were, and what they did. And so we want to do a bit of myth-busting of some misconceptions uh, that we have of prophets. So, for example, when we do think of prophets, we often think that all prophets performed miracles. And this really isn't the case. If we think about it, we have some prophets such as Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. Um, There are some that had visions, but not really performing miracles like healings um, or resurrections or anything like that. There are actually very few prophets that performed big, fantastic miracles. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, they're the main ones. But if you read most of the minor prophets, none of them are performing any miracles. Amos or Hosea, Joel... They're not really doing any uh, anything big or anything uh, supernatural that would catch our attention. Rather, they, uh, they're primarily preachers and teachers. That's their main job. So we often get this idea that there are loads of miracles performed by prophets in the Bible, when really the majority of prophets were simply teachers and preachers. Uh, and another misconception we have is that throughout history, there have been just absolute bucket loads of prophets. And I think this this misconception is fair because we get the idea by reading the Bible. And of course, the Bible records all the instances where there were prophets. But if we actually look at history, there are large gaps or large periods of time where there are actually no prophets from God. Uh, So for example, for the 400 years that the Hebrews spent in Egypt as slaves, there was no prophet recorded during that time. Similarly, uh, from the time of Malachi through to the time of John the Baptist, there's another gap of about 400 years where there are no prophets. There's no prophecy given. Uh, And even if we think of uh, from the time of uh, Adam or Abel through to the time of Noah, the only real explicit prophet we have is possibly Enoch. During that time, there isn't really any uh, prophets as we know them. So there are actually large periods of history where there are no prophets. Um, And we like to think that there's always been prophets and there's lots of prophets, but God actually only sends prophets during very specific times and occasions. And they're usually times of great crisis, usually spiritual crisis. So if we think um, of, for example, Noah, the great crisis is there's a flood and there has to be a warning that this incoming judgment of a flood is right around the corner. Or if we think of 
the major and the minor prophets uh, that are collected. The big crisis there is that Israel is being unrepentant. They're idolaters, they're not following God, and if they continue with this course of action, God will send a foreign nation to come and judge them. So this, again, is a time of spiritual crisis and a time of judgment. And this is really where we have the highest concentration of prophets in the Bible. It's it's uh, people trying prophets trying to warn these uh, God's people: if you do not turn from your ways, judgment is imminent. And then we have some prophets who guide and help the people during the time of exile, uh, when the people have unfortunately been taken captive into another nation. And then we have another set of prophets that help the people when they're brought back to their home country to help them actually start on the right path in a good spiritual relationship with God. And once that foundation has been set, there's no prophet heard from for another 400 years until the arrival of John the Baptist. So these are some really uh, big gaps without a prophets. And then we have high concentrations where there are prophets when it's a time of great crisis and God needs to grab the attention of his people. And it's usually a time of spiritual crisis. So that gives us a little bit of a better understanding of what we should expect from a prophet. They don't necessarily have to perform miracles. And in fact, most prophets didn't. Most prophets simply preached and taught. And God will, or uh, God sends prophets during times of great spiritual crisis. This isn't a run-of-the-mill thing that happens every day. God specifically sends prophets during great times of spiritual crisis so the prophet can guide and lead his people. And those are the two main things that we need to uh, remember, particularly the last one, um, that uh, prophets are uh, sent during times of spiritual crisis. So the question then becomes, does God still send prophets to us today? Is it possible that God could send another prophet to help guide and lead his people? And what does this have to do with being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? Well, to answer this, let's turn to the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, let's turn to the book of Revelation. And we're going to look at chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to spend some time unpacking this passage to get as, as much meaning as we can from it. This will be our main text for this morning. Revelation chapter 12, and we'll begin right at the very start of the chapter. It reads, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, pardon me, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child 
who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that she should feed her there 1,260 days. And in just six verses, there's a lot to unpack there in Revelation uh, chapter 12. So we'll just go verse by verse trying to unpack the symbols and the images that John is using here to portray the story. So in verse 1 he says, something appears in heaven. It's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now throughout the Bible we see this image of uh, a woman being a symbol for uh, God's people. In the Old Testament, God uh, says many times that he's in a, in a kind of covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And a lot of times he says that this covenant relationship is like the, the same covenant relationship a husband and wife have with each other. And so he'll often describe how Israel, uh, he's married to Israel, his people, and yet they keep wandering off to other, uh, other men or other gods, so to speak. Uh, that they keep breaking this marriage relationship that he has. And we see this same idea is brought into the New Testament, and it's uh, this idea that God has a covenant relationship with his church. Anyone can belong to the church, and anyone can be a part of God's covenant people. And so uh, we see here that John is using this same idea of a woman representing God's people, and here it's God's church that he has a covenant relationship with. And we see at the very end of Revelation, there's actually a marriage ceremony between this woman, this church, and between uh, Jesus. It's this the, the culmination of their covenant relationship. And it says in particular, she has a garland of 12 stars. Now, 12 is interesting it's used to, uh, for example, of the 12 tribes of Israel, who again represent God's people. But it can also be a symbol referring to the 12 disciples who are the foundation of the Christian church. Again, a symbol of God's people. So this woman and the, the crown or the garland of 12 stars above her head indicate to us this is a representation of God's people, specifically God's church. And then this woman, she gives birth uh, to a child. It's a male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And then the child is caught up to God and his throne. And this is clearly a, a symbol referring to Jesus. Jesus, uh, he is to rule all nations. We looked at that in our Sabbath school le lesson, that the Son of Man is given dominion and authority over all nations and peoples. And of course, we know that Jesus is caught up to God and is seated on his throne as well. So this is a symbol uh, of Jesus. And again, we see that this dragon, um, which we discover is a, a symbol of Satan and uh, forces which Satan uses. Satan tries to kill this infant child when he is born. And we saw this happen uh, at the birth of Jesus, King Herod. Um, he sought to kill uh, Jesus, this uh, other king that would run in competition with him. So we have the woman as the church. We have the child who rules all nations and is caught up to heaven as Jesus. 
and we have this great fiery red dragon, Satan, who has with him uh, these forces that work on his behalf, political uh, forces. And then it says that after this, the church fled into the wilderness for 1,260 days. And uh, in prophecy, we have this idea that a day represents a year. So a prophetic day is the equivalent to a year. And so we find that 1,260 days would be the equivalent of 1,260 years. And this is the period of time in which God's people, they are in hiding. Uh, they are being directly, directly persecuted by Satan. And this time he has with him both a political and religious power uh, that, of papal Rome persecuting God's people. This is uh, the counterfeit church of the medieval ages that suppressed the truth of God and sought to uh, attack and persecute God's people. And then we read in verse 17, uh, we get a bit more description of the woman being um, kept safe by God during this time of persecution. And then the 1,260 days concludes, and we read this as the final part of the story in verse 17. It says, The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind that this verse takes place uh, at the conclusion of the 1,260 days. And uh, we know this period was from the year 538 AD through to 1798 AD. So that's the, the period of persecution. So we're looking now for Satan trying to make an attempt at continuing to persecute God's people following after the, the year 1798. This is what we're looking for. And this is a group of God's people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, keeping the commandments of God is relatively self-explanatory. Of course, Christians would um, tend to disagree uh, with how to best keep these commandments. Um, but what is this testimony of Jesus Christ? Well, thankfully, John doesn't leave us guessing. He tells us explicitly what this testimony of Jesus Christ is that this church will have. And he describes it in Revelation chapter 19. So let's have a turn to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Revelation 19, verse 10, it says, uh, this is John speaking, he says, And I fell at his, that is, the angel's feet, to worship him. But the angel said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and one of your brethren, who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here we, we get an explicit answer as to what the testimony of Jesus is. It is described as the spirit of prophecy. Now, uh, this spirit of prophecy, this is the Holy Spirit's gifting of the gift of prophecy to his people. 
And so what we're looking for then, we're looking uh, in Revelation 12 for God's people, uh, that a, a, a church or a movement that arises after this period of the 1,260 days or years of persecution that has been given the Holy Spirit's gift of prophecy uh, specifically from God. It not only uh, keeps the commandments, but has this gift of prophecy given to them. And remember at the beginning we said that God sends prophets during times of great spiritual crisis, when God's people need wisdom and guidance and direction. And so I want to take us back to what we were looking at um, last time, which was the events of 1844 and the Great Disappointment. Now again, 1844 is after the year 1798. So in terms of it, it being in a timeline, it fits perfectly. We're looking for something, some sort of event after the year 1798. And of course, uh, the Great Disappointment was a time of incredible and great spiritual crisis. These were people who with all their heart and soul believed sincerely that God was going to return on October 22nd, 1844. These were people who had sold their homes, their possessions, their people who had refused to sow uh, uh, their crops for the following year as a demonstration of their faith to God. Um, these are people who put their reputations on the line and were now laughing stocks and mocked. This is a time of great crisis uh, for these people. And as we said, it led them to going back into the Bible and trying to discover what, where did they go wrong? And not just where did they go wrong in this, where, where had the church strayed uh, into incorrect doctrines in other areas? They were looking so intently for spiritual truth. And so it makes sense that on such a, a national level that this event took place and, and in such a time of great spiritual crisis that God would send again another prophet gifted with the spirit of prophecy to guide this new movement. Uh, in particular, a movement which fulfilled the prophecy of Revelation chapter 10. And it actually all begins with a young African-American man in the year 1842, just before the events of 1844, that God begins to prepare a prophet. Uh, this young African-American man is, uh, goes by the name William Ellis Foy. And he's given a vision uh, by God. And... Uh, the implication of the vision is that this man, William Ellis Foy, he's to share it with God's people to encourage them and to guide them. And he's actually given this vision twice, and yet William Ellis Foy, he refuses to accept this responsibility to be God's prophet and to share this vision. In particular, he's concerned because he's a man of African-American descent. And at this time in history... Not everyone looked at uh, people um, who had his pigment with, you know, the same respect and dignity that he deserved. This is a time in American history where, uh, unfortunately, slavery was still an ongoing problem. And so, uh, concerned for, you know, his, himself, he decided against uh, accepting this invitation that God had given to him. 
So then uh, we come to the year 1844 in December. So just a few months after this great spiritual crisis where God's people are still, still searching for answers. And another man receives a vision, uh, a man by the name of Hazen Foss. And he is given the exact same vision that William Ellis Foy received. And again, he's given the same invitation to witness and evangelize uh, and share this message with God's people, in particular in the wake of the great disappointment. But Hazen Foss, he too decides to deny the calling that God has given to him. He He's concerned in particular that um, the life of a prophet can be a difficult one. And so he decides against sharing this vision. And so in the same month of December in 1844, after Hazen Foss and after William Ellis Foy have both rejected this calling, uh, God gives this vision again to another person, and it's to a young woman called Ellen Harmon. And he gives to her this vision and again gives her the opportunity to share this message. And unlike the other two men who refused to do this, Ellen Harmon decides that she will accept the calling to be a prophet for God and to share the vision which he has given to him. Now, Ellen Harmon, she was actually one of the people who intently believed in um, the second coming of Jesus in 1844. And so she too, like everyone else, was looking deeply for answers uh, as to what went wrong and where could they learn more about the Bible. And so when she received this message, she shared it uh, with the members of her local church congregation. And as she is describing it, here's what she describes in her vision. She sees that there is a narrow path leading all the way up to heaven. And along this path are the believers uh, of her time. And she says that slowly and gradually as they walk along this path, they're getting closer and closer to heaven. And what's comforting is that as they go on this journey, Jesus himself is there encouraging and supporting the believers as they make this pilgrimage towards heaven. And it's a, it was a symbol to describe really the Christian life, the Christian journey that each of us experience as we go through our life, we're slowly, slowly journeying on this pilgrimage towards heaven. And she described this vision to uh, her fellow congregants and her fellow Millerites uh, that were involved in this 1844 movement to encourage them and inspire them, don't give up now. Even though this is a time of great crisis, a time where we're experiencing the most bitter uh, thing we can possibly experience, don't lose hope, don't give up. Continue on the path because Jesus himself is there comforting and encouraging and supporting you on that journey to heaven. Now, after Ellen White, uh, or Ellen Harmon at this time, describes this vision, two gentlemen stand up and want to say something. And this is William Ellis Foy and Hazen Foss. And both of them describe that they have had the exact same vision. They say, God showed to me the exact same vision that you just described. And yet I did not accept the call to share it. And so here we have two people who are able to corroborate 
uh, what Ellen Harmon saw in her vision. They say, yes, God gave us the exact same vision. But unlike us, you have decided to share that message with God's people. And this was just the first of many visions uh, and many teachings which Ellen Harmon later to be uh, Ellen White when she married her husband, James White. This is just one of many visions that she shared with God's people to encourage and inspire them during this time of a great spiritual crisis. And we know that uh, a prophet was needed to lead and guide God's people because, again, this was a movement which God had prophesied in Revelation 10. This was a movement which he had specifically designed to share a unique message with the world. And so at such a critical time in salvation history, it makes sense that God would send a prophet to lead and guide his people just as he had in the past. Um, Now, uh, not only did Ellen White receive many visions in her life, but she also wrote uh, many books. In particular, the one that uh, most people are probably familiar with is the Conflict of the Ages series. And it goes throughout all of the Bible's history Uh, giving unique perspectives and uh, unique commentary and spiritual insights and practical applications that we can make to our life. So from the time of Genesis all through the time of Revelation, even going through history, not in the Bible, uh, but the history of the church leading up to the events of Revelation, she gives us beautiful commentary and insight to lead and guide God's people. And so the Seventh-day Adventist church has been gifted with something completely unique uh, that no other church can make a claim to, which is that God has given the unique gift of prophecy or spirit of prophecy to his people to guide and encourage and uplift them uh, and give counsel and wisdom to them. And we are, you know, we are so blessed that we have the, the writings and the visions of Ellen White recorded uh, for us to read alongside the other biblical prophets' wisdom and counsel. And so I want to challenge us to think then, how, how should we respond to having this message? And I think there are, uh, there are five, five ways we can respond to this and make this practical. I think the first is we need to realize what a privilege and responsibility it is to have the writings of Ellen White. Uh, as we, uh, as uh, we've discussed, the Adventist Church is unique in its prophetic calling. It can find its roots and its origins in the Book of Revelation, and here in Revelation twelve seventeen we see that uh, there is going to be a, a church which has the spirit of prophecy given to them to lead and to guide them. And that really is, it is a privilege and responsibility to be a part of that church, that movement that has the writings of Ellen White uh, to lead and to guide. I think secondly, uh, as we said, the prophet is given by God during times of great spiritual crisis. In the events of 1844, it was necessary for God to send a prophet to guide this fledgling movement that would become a global Uh, movement. But as well, when we read the events of Revelation and we uh, see the signs of the times that Jesus gives in the Gospels, we understand that a time of great spiritual crisis is going to be coming. If not, it's already here, uh, really. 
And this crisis will continue to grow in magnitude as we get closer to the second coming. And so if we are currently living in a time of spiritual crisis, and we know that crisis is going to increase um, over time, how much more relevant then is it for God to send a prophet? And by that I mean, how much more relevant are the writings of the Bible and of Ellen White now during this time of spiritual crisis? Uh, Again, this comes back to this idea of it being a, a responsibility on us. If we have the writings of a prophet given to us and we know we're in the midst of a spiritual crisis, we have the responsibility then to share that prophetic message with other people. Thirdly, I think uh, we should understand that if we are seeking to share this message, uh, this prophetic message, we should expect to encounter resistance from Satan and his forces. Uh, as it said in Revelation twelve seventeen, Satan is trying to attack those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. So we should anticipate the fact that Satan is going to try and thwart our efforts. Uh, we should anticipate, uh, we should not lose sight of the fact that we are engaging in spiritual warfare when we try and reach out to people uh, with the gift of prophecy. But we should also be encouraged by the fact that the dragon and Satan is not victorious. In the book of Revelation, he is the loser. He does not have the victory. That goes to God and to his people. Again, if we think back to Daniel 7 that we read this morning, the power of the little horn, which is Satan and his, uh, his agencies, the power of the little horn is given to the Son of Man. And the Son of Man gives that authority and dominion to the saints. He is, does not win in the end. Satan is not victorious. It is God and his people who are victorious. So even in the midst of persecution, we should have hope and be encouraged that the one who is for us is greater than he that is against us. And so finally, uh, we can't really share the spirit of prophecy with other people if we haven't had the opportunity to read it. Um, if we read the writings of Ellen White, we'll be in a place where we're familiar enough to know uh, what is appropriate to share with other people. Um, if you know people are going through something, we know, aha, this will be a good book for you to read, or this will be a good chapter to share uh, with this person. We need to be able to read and know and understand uh, the writings of Ellen White in order to be able to properly share it to other people. Uh, so to conclude, I just want to challenge us with the following things. and I, I, I want us to, to seriously um, meditate on these challenges that have been given uh, to us. Firstly, um, I'm sure many of us uh, are familiar with the writings of Ellen White, but if you would like a free copy of one of Ellen White's books, we have lots of them uh, at the uh, Canambal Church. And uh, I know you can access all of her writings digitally on the E.G. White app, but maybe you're like me, I like to read uh, my books physically as much as possible. So if you would like uh, a copy to read for yourself, uh, what I'll ask you to do is in the chat, just type uh, type in that you would like that, or you can text me, uh, you've all got your, uh, my phone number, and let me know if you would like to receive uh, a copy. Uh, number two, and this is the challenge that I want to put before us, 
Let me know if you would like a free copy of one of Ellen White's books to share with a friend. So this is a copy not for you and your personal reading, but to share with someone else. Again, if we have this, this privilege of uh, the, the spirit of prophecy given to us, God's prophetic gift given to the Adventist church, uh, we have an obligation to share that with other people. So again, in the chat, or uh, if you text me, let me know if you would like a, a physical copy to share. Again, we have stacks of uh, books down at, in the Campbell Church, and I'm happy to drop them off to you, uh, a physical copy to share with someone. And thirdly, just to conclude, um, we've kind of shared already in our time of prayer um, what we'd like to pray for. But if you have anything else that you would like prayer for, maybe particularly to do with your personal evangelism and witnessing, again, uh, drop a, a text in the chat or shoot me a text and I'll make sure to add those things to my prayer list. Well, look, um, I hope this has been a, a, a useful time uh, studying God's word together. And uh, I hope you've been encouraged and inspired by... Um, what God's put here in the book of Revelation. I, I find it very comforting to know that God didn't leave uh, his movement uh, to kind of fend for themselves when it came uh, to 1844. Uh, he did leave them to, to look into God's word and to study it intently, but he also spent, sent his spirit of prophecy to be with that people, to guide and to lead and to nurture it. And it even continues to guide and lead and nurture us today. So I pray that um, each one of us would take the time to read um, both the Bible and both uh, the writings of Ellen White, which uh, continue to help and lead and guide us today. And I hope we'd also be inspired to share these writings with someone else, because we are living in a time of great spiritual crisis and it's during these times of crisis when a, a, the words of a prophet are needed. And we have those words of a prophet that we can share uh, with other people.